Welcome to The Exploding Typewriter, Pulp Writers on Writing Pulp. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. It's been a while since our last episode. I have to apologize to not only the listeners, but also to our guest uh, this time around, uh, Gary Phillips, noted crime author, and who has recently made his foray into the world of pulp with Black Pulp and some other stuff, which I'll talk about in a minute, because that leads into a big announcement. Uh, I just moved recently, and as a result of moving, took a while to get internet set up, so I haven't been able to actually upload this episode until now. So apologies to both Gary and the listeners for the delay in getting that ready. And now for news this time around, uh, Pro Se has made a pretty big announcement since the last episode, and that announcement is in regards to their single shot line. Recently, Pro Se has been uh, releasing a bunch of short stories at a price point of 99 cents, and now they're expanding that into what's called the Pro Se Single Shot Signature Series. And what this means is there are a number of authors who are participating, around 30 or so, I think. Uh, Gary Phillips is among those authors, and I am as well, where I'll be writing a series of short stories featuring the same character. Uh, the other option, which some authors have opted for, is uh, what's called the From the Pen of. And in that, they will be writing a bunch of stories, but each one will be its own its own uh, individual story, no, no series involved. And so some people are doing that, some people are doing the series option. And these will be available for a price point of $0.99 cents each, and they'll vary in length from about 3,000 to 15,000 words. I've actually just finished the first story in my series, and there will probably be some more information coming about that within the coming weeks and months. Also, on the news front, uh, two of my books, uh, Love and Bullets and The Lost Continent, these are the first books in both the Infernum series and the Myth Hunter series. They are both now free uh, on in, on ebook. Uh, you can go to Kobo or iTunes or Barnes & Noble or Smashwords, and you can find those for free. Uh, they've been reported to Amazon for a price match, and I know... As of this recording, The Lost Continent has been made free on Amazon, but Love and Bullets uh, it's still taking a little bit of time to get there. But hopefully by the time you listen to this episode, Love and Bullets will also be free on Amazon. So go check those out, give them a download, and please give them a review if you enjoy them, and check out the other books in those respective series. Okay, also um, I've been writing a lot of articles lately for What Culture, and if you go to whatculture.com, you can find many of those articles uh, about comic books, movies, TV shows, and the like. Uh, every view helps uh, helps me out a little bit, so please go and check those out, and feel free to share them on Facebook or Twitter. That's uh, pretty much all the news for today. We're going to get started with this interview with Gary Phillips. And just again, a reminder, if you can, please, you know, visit this show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating or a review. And as always, you can feel free to drop us a line. Our website is typewriter.percivalconstantine.com and the email address is typewriter at percivalconstantine.com. So if you have any questions or would like to be on the show, 
please feel free to go to either of those and drop me a line. Okay, that's about all for me today. Uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Exploding Typewriter, Pulp Writers on Writing Pulp. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and today we've got a very special guest. Uh, we've got crime writer Gary Phillips. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm fine, Perry. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I got my uh, coffee here. <laughs> uh, got me up at 7 in the morning. time where you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so before we get started, oh, today we've got a really interesting topic that you came up with is the idea of why New Pulp doesn't really sell that well. And that's something I've really wanted to discuss on the show at some point. So thank you for suggesting that. <laughs> yeah, for uh, stepping into the lion's den. You know, why not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, before we get started with that, could you give us a bit of background on your writing career? Well, I'm mostly... Uh a crime and mystery writer, as you mentioned, uh, though, of course, we, we all know that, uh, in fact, uh, not to give any spoilers away, but I, I suppose as fans of uh, True Detective uh, are watching on, on HBO, there's been a lot of references or some references to some uh, old pulp stuff, actually some stuff from the uh, from the 1890s that, it get, uh, that have been brought up in the show, uh, and those in turn, one of those writers in turn, in turn this guy named Chambers, influenced uh, Raymond Chandler. So clearly, of course, we know that there's a lot of uh, correlation, a lot of uh, uh, back and forth between uh, the worlds of crime and mystery and, and the pulp. The pulp mm -hmm. folks. And of course, we know, uh, you know, the, the, the big writers came out of Black Mask. And so I suppose all of that is to say that a lot of that uh, and some other uh, material influenced me as a kid. And uh, for whatever different reasons, I gravitated toward the mystery genre and just knew that even given my background, my background includes being a, I've been a, a labor organizer, I've been a community activist, I've run nonprofits and what have you. And so all of that I knew was going to be material at some point for uh, the crime and mystery stuff that I, that I wanted to get, uh, get down there on page, as well as in drawing from some of those, some of those worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess most recently... Uh, in fact, I think we've just been nominated uh, several, several, uh, in several categories uh, for a couple of pulp awards. Uh, I was the co-editor, I guess kind of the originator and co-editor of uh, Black Pulp. Oh, really? I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, yeah, which, uh, which as you know, our, our guy Tommy uh, brought mm. out from the prolific uh, Tommy Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> brought out from Pro Se uh, Press. Uh, and, uh, and when I say originator, that's kind of a loose term. That just really just means, uh, you know, I got Tommy on the phone and we pitched the idea, talked the idea out, and we just did it. Uh, mm. And, uh, in fact, there's going to be Asian Pulp. Yeah, in fact, I'm actually involved in that one. Oh, excellent, excellent. I have, I have a story in that as well. And then there's going to be a Black Pulp 2 toward the end of, uh, end of this year. And yeah, and he said there are a bunch of other ones, too. I think they're doing an Italian pulp as well and some I, other ones, too. I, I believe an Italian pulp. I think uh, a Latino or Hispanic pulp is, mm -hmm. works. So, yeah, exactly. So what the hell? We'll exhaust, we exhaust all that. Just go through it. Just go through all of them. <laughs> all of them, man. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, what, what the heck not? I mean, uh, actually, this is kind of akin to what uh, uh, Akashic Books, which is a small press. Not, not, not so much not a small press anymore. Mid-sized press, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Uh, here in New York, here in New York, I'm in Los Angeles, but in New York, across the country from me, even further for you, uh, <laughs> you know, did with their noir series, various uh, uh, Los Angeles noir, uh, Paris noir, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, mm -hmm. uh, so I've got Black Pulp, 
uh, on the uh, on the uh, graphic novel side, I also write graphic novels. I have a uh, graphic novel coming out now called Big Water, and that's about water rights. It's set here in the, the southeast part of uh, L.A. County, which is kind of an interesting part of town. So I have out now from, um, uh, in terms of the world of, uh, of particularly in, back to the world of pulp and, and uh, e-books in particular, and I guess we're going to talk about this notion of write e-books and print on demand and what have you. Anyway, right. I, have, uh, I have two novellas out, or I have one novella out now and another one coming uh, with uh, Stark Raven Group. Uh, the first one uh, that's out now is called uh, The Anti-Gravity Steel. And, and of course, like a lot of uh, uh, pulp uh, writers, uh, new pulp writers, I'm uh, influenced by uh, naturally the icons of our, of our past. And in particular, this is kind of my take, sideways take, so it's not a, not a, not a, 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 a literal uh, pastiche, but a sideways take on, on the Doc Savage or the Doc Savage mythos. And in this case, mm. it's, it's set modern day, and it's with a kind of, uh, a kind of golden boy uh, slacker uh, uh, character named uh, Ned Nock uh, Brenner, and, uh, and Nock is a kind of, uh, he's almost uh, 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 preternatural in the sense that everything comes easy to him. He's a kind of kinetic learner, and he's a motocross uh, racer, he's a, he's a poker player, etc. And so he has a kind of these uh, modern attributes, and naturally things happen that draw him into this uh, intrigue, into this story, uh, where he will be challenged to use his abilities uh, not just to uh, pay the rent or get by, but uh, but for a larger uh, purpose. And so, mm -hmm. uh, I hope people will dig that story as there are going to be more reveals about the character and who he is and his background, as well as then, of course, the uh, not quite his crew, but the people he works with at this thing called the, the Vigilance Initiative. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but all that's kind of teased out <clears throat> and uh, uh, introduced in the first story. And then following that, uh, I think Toward the end of this month of March, or maybe it's in April, uh, will be the Extractors, which is uh, this other novella I've done, uh, and it's about a, uh, uh, a cat named uh, McBleak. This is more of a crime story. A cat named McBleak, mm -hmm. a uh, one percenter who steals from a one percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, are the both these set in the well? The the latter one. It sounds like it's more just from the language and terminology, like the one percenter. It sounds like it might be more of a modern book. Both, both are modern. Yeah. I, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, both are modern, Perry. That uh, both the anti gravity steel is set now, as well as then, yes, as well as uh, 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 the extractors was make believe. You grew up reading pulp. You were saying, and so, but when was it that you first discovered new pulp? And started looking into that area and met and hooked up with Tommy Hancock and all that. Well, you know that's a that's a good question. I, I would say that I kind of uh, fell into New Pulp in the sense that it was really before Tommy it was really with uh, with Joe uh, uh, Gentile at at, uh, at Moonstone, and, mm -hmm. and somehow or another uh, I can't quite remember now. I mean, all this is sort of through the dim recess. And Joe and I have met a couple of times. He used to come out here to uh, Comic Con down in San Diego. Anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some other, I, I, uh, corresponded with Joe and I did a, a kind of one shot, uh, comic book for, for him at one point. And then because Joe at that time, and even now, of course, was, uh, getting, uh, securing some of the licenses of, uh, of, uh, some of the old cult characters, the spider, the Avenger, uh, mm -hmm. as we know. Uh, I got offered to do, I think initially I was offered to do, actually initially, I, I, now, now I do remember, initially I did, in fact, a couple of stories for the uh, Kolchak uh, anthologies. 
mm-hmm. and as we know, Kolchak is a kind of bridge character between the old pulp and I think of the new pulp. I, I we would certainly argue, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there's this entire like we were t- kind of talking about earlier with guys like Iceberg Slim and the seventies just in general uh, had this entire like it was basically a new pulp back then. Right. You, know, you had um, you had guys like Kolchak, you had guys like Shaft, uh, the Iceberg Slim characters, and all these kinds of guys That's that right. were coming up and the whole proliferation of uh, of the of the paperback the paperback vigilantes right i mean you know <laughs> right yeah yeah that was when the uh who was it i can't remember who it was but they were publishing like all they were publishing all the reprints of like doc savage and conan and all that kind of stuff that's right that was that was uh, bantam and then it was uh i guess bantam did both uh or uh, i guess yeah, bantam did doc savage and did they do the spider or they did the shadow they did the shadow yeah, it was. That sounds about right. That's right, because both are owned by uh, Condi Nast. So yeah, it must have been right. So uh, and then somebody else was a popular library. Maybe it was popular library did did the did the spider, and uh, possibly yeah. And then if uh, if people remember, then there was uh, there was even uh, a weird revival or a strange revival of Nick Carter as the Killmaster. If people remember that, uh, there was a whole series of these books, man. In fact, I know, mm-hmm. know a couple of writers who wrote wrote a couple of those. Uh, as a kind of spy, you know, in the James Bond uh, mold. Right, and you also had the, um, like, the Conan resurgence with uh, Marvel's Conan comic book, and the reprints were coming out, too, at that time. That's absolutely right, exactly right, exactly right. Uh, so all that to say is that, so so anyway, all that sort of in, in, in that background and, and some of that stuff I had read uh, and, and dug, as well as, of course, the, the mystery and crime novels I, I grew up on, and um, anyway, so as we were working with Moonstone, it was it was doing the Kolchak stories, uh, and then I at some point uh, when he did the, I think when he did the first, it was the first because I think Joe has done three now, but he did the first Avenger uh, anthology. Uh, what the heck is it called? I want to say it's not the Avenger Chronicles. I think that was the second one. Yeah. Was this the comic book or the prose anthology? Oh, the prose anthology. Pros okay, I know. I know the. One, I I I've got the cover in my mind, but I can't remember the exactly. title of it for the life of me. It wasn't the case book. It wasn't the case book. Is the, is the second one, maybe? Uh-huh. Okay. Whichever one that was, the first one of those, I got invited to do a story, uh, and I and that sort of got me uh, uh, more or less, I think, into into the world of new pulp. So now, uh, the topic of the show that you suggested was why new pulp doesn't sell, and this is. This is something I've really been wanting to talk about for a while because despite, you know, all these – it seems like the formula, like all the elements are in place for New Pulp and the kind of stuff we do to be successful. Right. Because, you know, Kindles and ebooks are huge now and we've got, you know, cheaply priced ebooks. It's It's the New Pulp paper essentially. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, so we've got that stuff. We've got, um, you know, series are huge. Like every single piece of advice for self-published writers is write a series, uh, which used to be the other way around. It used to be, you know, do a book, then do a completely different book and then in the same genre. But like but now proliferation of series has become like the big thing, especially in genre fiction. And there are tons of self-published uh, genre authors who are making a living doing this kind of stuff. I mean, you've got people like uh, Joanna Penn. She makes uh, her living doing a uh, series of genre novels. Yes. You know, Sean Platt, David Wright, Johnny B. Truant, 
uh, Chuck Wendig, well, he's a hybrid author, but still the same kind of idea. So you've got all these people who are doing this exact kind of stuff, doing Pulp Fiction. And I know in the case of uh, Chuck Wendig and Sean Platt, they specifically said what they do is Pulp Fiction, too. Yeah. And so these guys are all making a living at it, but <clears throat> those of us who are actually using the label, the label New Pulp, you know, we... You know, if I if I make if I make uh if I make ten sales in a month, I'm happy. <laughs> right. right, right. So, so it's uh, that whole kind of thing. So, what do you think is um is some of the reason for why the sales really aren't coming in, despite all these other elements being there? Well, you know, I, so I'm the one that suggested this topic. So, of course, hopefully, I, I have been I, I have been giving it some thought and. Been- some uh, reading. Uh, one of the, one of the things I guess we'll get to, and we'll talk about this, is of course this notion of, uh, as you said, the price of eBooks and, and generally mm-hmm. the price of eBooks. Certainly, the price of New Pulp is is, is very right and, and mm-hmm. accessible. Uh, I wonder though, are we putting out too much? I wonder if sometimes creating a kind of uh, scarcity, uh, mm-hmm. scarcity might 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 in fact. Give it more of a patina, so that's so that's one idea, or that's one thing that we'll, we'll kind of get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I know that with uh, when we did when we did uh, uh, Black Pulp with Pro Se, because of who we had in the book, because we didn't just have we consciously did not just have quote unquote new pulp writers, though new mm-hmm. writers are in the book. Right. Also drew from some uh, some of the mystery field. Uh, certainly, in the case of Joe Lansdale, of course. Now Joe is another hybrid guy, right? Joe mm-hmm. goes goes across various uh, uh, genres, yeah. Uh, and or and then I drew a couple of guys who, who are uh, friends of mine, who are fellow mystery writers, but but and who dig pulp, but who n- don't had necessarily uh, dipped their toes in the new pulp world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that helped to give that particular anthology and the fact that we had an essay by Walter Mosley, and and we got some love for that, and we got some reviews in sort of non-traditional or non-New Pulp uh, venues. That, right. that helped to give that particular anthology uh, a boost and, uh, and it has a, you know, broken sales records, but there, have been, there has been a little payout on royalties, so that's always a nice thing. Yeah, it's been a bit healthier than the other New Pulp books. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, not, but that's not to say, but as you, know, as you said, Perry, look, man, there's a lot of good material uh, that's coming down the pike. And, but I think one of the things that I've noted, and what the hell, we'll, just, we'll throw this grenade out here, and at least mm-hmm. some people do. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Go ahead and lob it. Exactly. But, you know, I think one of the things that, that we've really got to look at in terms of uh, in New Pulp is you've got, I think you've just got to break out of the New Pulp ghetto in the sense of there's a lot of New Pulp uh, that's kind of self-referential in the sense that um, New Pulp, uh, people tend to uh, review other new pulp. Now, of course, this is, this is also true in the mystery genre. Mm-hmm. It is the case of the mystery genre is, is larger, though there's overlap, as we know. Uh, but it's also the case that the mystery genre, some of in the mystery genre, genre get reviewed in so-called mainstream press. Now, I don't. I'm not debating mainstream versus anything else. I'm, I'm a genre writer, and I'm happy to be a genre writer. Right. No, but but you're absolutely right. Like that that's that's just kind of the way it is. Like there's still this even despite all other evidence to the contrary, there's still this snobbish mindset towards genre fiction. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh and so I think though but I think one of the things that I, I, I'm starting to see 
is I think because we are starting to get more of an overlap of, of folks who are coming in from, you know, you mentioned some folks, uh, Chuck Wendig and some other folks, who uh, are considered uh, horror writers or, or mystery and crime writers, but who also mm-hmm. are, are, uh, are writing in this field or, or take some of these elements and have, you know, has some of those elements in their work. Certainly, we look at somebody like Clive Cussler, you can certainly say as a folk writer. Who himself, oh, yeah, definitely. Who was himself admitted that, yes, I mean, he was, he was, he was, his Dirk Pitt was influenced by Doc Savage. Uh, and so I think, uh, but I, but I do think I, I guess one of the things I would say though to, not as a curative because God knows I have I don't certainly have the answers, but I think one of the things we got to push for, and maybe it's because of doing anthologies or maybe it's because somebody's going to come along as we know, somebody's going to come along with that breakout book. This is going to happen. It's just the nature of how these things work. We know that right. going to be this 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 new pulp book, this this, this novella or this full length novel. It's going to hit the hit the uh, hit the uh, Kindles. And it's gonna and it's gonna just uh, you know burn and it's gonna gather those other fans that we're all trying to trying to get to. And I think too though I think that's one of the things that that I that I'm trying to figure out is that um, sort of being a hybrid writer um, and, I, and I'm wearing both hats or I'm, at times I'm wearing both hats. When I'm at a mystery convention, let's say, you know I'm I'm always uh, keen to talk up new pulp. I'm all, I'm going to be doing this panel uh, later this later this month. At uh, this uh, convention called Left Coast Crime, which is held, uh, you know, west of the Mississippi in various cities. At this, this time, it happens to be in California, up in Northern California, in Monterey. And I'm on a panel, and I this actually from my suggestion. So we're going to do a panel about what is pulp, you know, what is new pulp, and mm-hmm. is pulp how is pulp different than or similar to uh, uh, to the to the mystery and crime uh, writing. And I think in that way, at least, you know, these little spurts, these little elements, these little attempts to try to, I think, drive New Pulp uh, beyond its confines in the sense of, when I say beyond its confines, I'm not suggesting that New Pulp writers should write anything different, although we can talk about that because as we know, and as as we've suggested, the fact that even something like Back Pulp, which got some interesting backlash in the pulp community. Which, uh, yeah, we can talk about that too. It was just completely bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, but it's also, uh, you could also see where that's coming from in the sense of mm-hmm. there's, as we know, there's there's even divisions within the world of, of pulp about what it, what is in fact new pulp, right? What is in fact, yeah. should should these stories have any kind of revisionist elements in them, wh- whether it's about race or women or what have you, or should they be mm-hmm. purely set as they were written uh, in the 1930s? Yeah. I would argue no, but... Uh, yeah, I, I just to go on a bit of a tangent with that too, because I do a lot of editing for uh, different people, and I did see this uh, new pulp story where it was set in maybe it was like the thirties, forties, or fifties. Some, but there was a lot of language in it that was very anachronistic and racially insensitive and <laughs> with the dialogue right. that's understandable but this was in the in the descriptions and i'm like th- that that's got to go yeah, right. <laughs> that's pretty wild that's right it's, uh, well see that's an interesting there you go there's a that's a kind of interesting uh point uh because you're right some would argue well no no you know we're being true to you know how how this stuff was portrayed uh, how this stuff was written uh, in those days, but you're right. I mean, listen, this is the modern era. You can't help but then, you can't help but say, well, wait a minute now. You can't just yeah. ignore. History. And even then, it, I mean, the, the notion that this kind of gets back to us, gets us back to that discussion we were having about this question of people like Iceberg Slim and Donald Goins 
kind of writing the sort of black underground crime novels at the same time where you have people like, you know, uh, 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 Hammett and, and Chandler out there and even some of the newer writers like Ross McDonald and, and, and Sarah Paretsky come along. And yet you still have this kind of parallel track, this parallel world, which is also part of society. I mean, that's really kind of the argument that that even that, yes, you can argue that uh, black pulp is revisionist to some extent or Django Unchained, you know, is revisionist to some extent. Uh, clearly it is. It's clearly a mashup of, 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 of uh, the slave picture and, and the spaghetti western. Uh, uh, but, but it doesn't say that those kinds of experiences, if pulp, if pulp is a hyper-reflection of certain experiences, then, then certainly other black pulp and, and Django Unchained are expressions of a hyper, uh, uh, hyper-experiences on another level. So that so it's right. not as if black people didn't exist in 1930, and it's not, <laughs> or, 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 or Asian folks or whoever, right? And it's not as if they didn't have lives that a lot of times the so-called mainstream had no idea what those lives were about. Mm. You know, uh, my dad, who's, gone, who's passed now, and his brothers have passed, but my dad, you know, was a, was a kid of the Depression, and, and when, they got to, uh, when they got to California, when they got to L.A. from, well, they were on the road and stuff, they came to this little Texas town called Seguin. And when they got to L.A. in the, in the late 30s, you know, it was, it was a segregated town, but along Central Avenue, which was called the STEM, was the center of black life. So you, not only did you have jazz clubs along Central Avenue, you had two black newspapers in town, the Sentinel and the Eagle. You had uh, lawyers, dentists doctors. So you had this whole other kind of life that you could argue, okay, well, it's a subculture, but it's a culture nonetheless. And it, and it, you know I mean? and it existed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I saw that something similar when I was researching my story for uh, Asian Paul. Yes. Um, because that all grew out of this uh, discussion I had back with Derek Ferguson. Uh, you know, that guy gets so many damn mentions on the show. I got to start chart. I got to, I'm going to have to start giving him money at this rate. Oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, I was watching that show, uh, Hell on Wheels, yes. uh, about the railroad, right. and and as I'm apt to do, I googled the show afterwards, and I found out there was some controversy over the lack of Asian characters in it. Right, that's interesting. Right, working on the railroad. And that's right. right. But then, then uh, the the response from the producers was, well, there are two railroads that were being done at the time. One was mostly by, you know, white and black workers. One was mostly by Asian workers. We were focusing on one and not the other. So it actually makes historical sense. And that, but that got me interested. So I started looking into that more and more. And I found some really fascinating things about uh, Asian immigrants. And there were actually communities that they had set up in the West with like, um, cause you know, with the Asian exclusion act, many uh, Asian men, were over here working, but they couldn't bring their families over. They couldn't bring their wives wives over. So, a lot of them ended up starting new lives with runaway slaves. Interesting, very. And they form like these own communities, and and there's like this entire uh, mixed race classification of uh, I don't remember what the exact term is, but they're like of Asian and African descent. Wild man, that's wild. Yeah, and so it it just goes to show that there's these. There are these entire subcultures that are running along all this other stuff throughout history that exactly. we never hear about, and it, it's yeah, and it's stuff that's ripe for exploitation. Uh, not exploitation; it's the wrong word. But, but you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, but it's right to be right to be mine. I mean, look, let's look, look at last night. You know, uh, Twelve Years a Slave wins uh, as best uh, picture, 
and, uh, and 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 by the way, kudos to to John Ridley for winning for uh, screen screenplay adaptation. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, um, it, but here's a book, man. Here's a here, you know it's based on the book. I mean, I mean, Ridley says, hey, man, this is a, these are Northrop's words. This was this man's experience. This is a book that was written then, Perry. This is not yeah. a book that they got rewritten now, and we're looking back. This is a book written by the man who lived that life, and that book was at the time was a bestseller, and in fact. Uh, what's her name? Harriet Beecher Stowe cribs from it for Uncle mm-hmm. Cabin, you know. And by the way, speaking of Pope, there's a whole other great mystery, of course, as we know, as to uh, well, whatever happened to Simon Northrop once he was freed and, and he, uh, he went on tour and there was a, a play, then he just disappears. But that's a that's a story. That's a story for another time. That's way <laughs> off our topic. But nonetheless, it's a very intriguing uh, idea to think about whatever happened. To him. Uh but, you know, back to the topic at hand in terms of uh, how do we, uh, you know, why does a new pulp sell or how do we make new pulp sell better? Uh, so one of the things I think, I, I, one of the things I think I, I know only because I've seen this work in the, work in the mystery field is, is certainly this case of trying to get, particularly now, with, you know, more online venues. I think the more we can get uh, the work out there beyond just the normal kind of confines of who reviews new pulp. Uh, for instance, mm-hmm. Black Pulp, we had an excerpt that ran on Criminal Element, which is a which is a crime and mystery site. And I think that helped in terms of getting uh, some of the folks interested, you know, in, in the material who would normally have, have uh, seen about it or heard about it. Yeah. And you, you guys got the mention in the, in the Huffington post and um, right. one of the, one of the Los Angeles publications. Too. Yeah. Uh, uh, Los Angeles review of books. It's a, it's a great yeah. uh, online, uh, online uh, venue. Uh, uh, gave us a, gave us a pretty good review actually. And uh, so I think the more we can get the, the material out, you know, out beyond the usual confines, I think the better. Because I think you're right, man. Listen, there's a lot of great series that are getting done now. A lot of great work is getting done. But I wonder too, as I, you know, I want to kind of double back, or I want to raise that uh, as another as another possible red flag, but but uh, or, or, or or red red uh, red flag to the bull. Uh, I wonder if we're producing too much. I wonder if, in fact, mm-hmm. should there be should there be some scarcity. Although knowing that, listen, man, with with the advent of ebooks, my God, man, people just want more and more, right? They just see. Uh, my question would not be, is it too much stuff being produced, but but is it the <clears throat> is it the right consistency of stuff being p- produced? Because, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff being produced, but it's all over the map, right? Um, you won't have like a consistent series like every month there's a new book of that series come out. It'll be like one month, a book of this series comes out the next month, a book of a different series comes out and, and you know, by the same writer. And then they're jumping around doing right. short story work and anthology work, but there's not that consistent element type of thing to it. Good point. That's actually a very interesting point. Uh, I certainly think that uh, what, uh, you know, uh, Paul Bishop is doing with the fight, Paul and, and Mel Odom are doing with the, uh, the fight card series is trying to get to some of that where, they have, you know, like in the old days, they have have the house name, and then every right. every month there's a there's, there's a uh, uh, a work in that title. Though, as you as you say, you know, it's not consistently the same character. Uh, probably a, a better example might be uh, I know what uh, oh Lee Goldberg and William Rapkin have done the Dead Man series, where they took these are two uh, TV writers. And they took a character, took a pilot, I'm sorry, I should say a pitch that they, they weren't able to sell some years ago and revamped it and, and have this kind of supernatural series where you have various writers writing, and their names are on the cover, but various writers writing that character 
in a series of adventures, a series of novellas. And while it hasn't been, I don't think every month, it's been pretty consistent. I think they have like 18 or 19 of these uh, of these titles out. You know, done pretty decent with them. So that, I think it kind of gets to your point. I mean, I agree with that point in the sense of if you establish a character and a world, uh, you know, doesn't have to be the same writer. It could be a series of writers, which is one of the things we've been talking about at the uh, Stark Raven Group in terms of doing a kind of uh, a kind of in-house character, you know, like as Doc Savage was doing this kind of in-house character, but having right. uh, then having then various writers write that character, but then be very consistent with, you know, whether it's a monthly or every six weeks or whatever it is, whatever the schedule would be keeping to that schedule and, and being able to pump out those adventures of that character. And I think you're right. In that way, at least you kind of build a body of work, which I think then in turn helps you to get some uh, get some notice for that work. Yeah, I think also there might be a bit too much of an adherence to the idea of reviving the pulp. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right when you say that. I, I do constantly feel that um, the only people I'm marketing to are other new pulp writers. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, and there's definitely that sense. And, you know, and if you go on the various new pulp groups on Facebook, it's almost all advertising for new books. Right. That's right. And you're right. And, and, and you know, and you're right. It, most of those I ignore only uh, only because it's too much of it. And if it was mm-hmm. now, if it's, sometimes it's a title I, I find intriguing by somebody I don't know. I might I might click on it and, and, and might even order. I've done that a couple of times lately. But you're right. A lot mm-hmm. of it, I think, now becomes um, – uh, so I'm a little worried it becomes wallpaper, right? It becomes something that is just part of the the daily ritual. You're right. It's stuff I got to click through to get to whatever it else it is that I'm trying to get to. Right, and uh, and that happens on Twitter too. Not only with pulp, but just like self published authors in general. I get um at least every week I get request I get uh follows from other self published writers, right. and I follow back, and then it's then my then my Twitter feed is just like a wall of <laughs> ads. <laughs> And almost all of them, like, auto-set. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I don't even... So there's... Yeah, there's that. But um, when I was talking about the adherence to the the idea of pulps, it was kind of going back to the whole idea of the pulps did it this way, so we have to do it this uh-huh. way. Uh-huh, yes. That's interesting. You mean in terms of the actual uh, material, in terms of the actual content? Uh, Kind of, like, the not only, like, in terms of the actual content, but also in the way the content is uh, distributed. Okay. Um, there's this idea of, you know, the pulp, like, I think actually surprisingly enough, uh, now that we're talking about eBooks being like the new pulp paper, I remember there being a lot of resistance to it in, uh, among, among some new pulp guys when it first was discussed about moving into eBooks in addition to the print on demand. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Right. Right. Cause, cause that was so right. Because it wasn't like the old days. You weren't right. producing a, you weren't necessarily producing a physical product. Yeah, so there's that, and there's also the and pro se to their credit has kind of started to get away a little bit from this, but the idea of producing anthologies with you know, but and now pro se started to branch out from that where they're releasing the single shots. Exactly, exactly. That's yeah. I know Tommy's tireless. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, I know. I'm uh, I'm one of his formatters. Yeah, yeah. Um. But you're right. I, so, well, I, I think then that says that. Uh, so, one thing I, I guess we I, I would I would, I'd want people to take away, or at least get from from our discussion, would be that I really do think that exactly as as we both talked about, I think you want more and more as much as you can push some of those boundaries in the sense of of 
of uh, and you know and we know that a lot of new pulp gets ignored by by even the mystery and crime uh, mm-hmm. uh, reviewers, let alone so called so called mainstream. Uh, but 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 certainly there's a lot of there is some stuff that's getting written that's, that's really well done and and and, uh, and tells a story and and uh, and captures the feel of, of pulp, but yet you know I think can can command uh, the modern audience, and so I think. I think the more that we can push that that product out there in, 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 in some of those to some of those areas, I think the, the mm-hmm. better. Uh, I, but I agree too that uh, that we have to figure out, and and I think it's a combination. I think because I'm fascinated by just because I mean, you know, listen, listen, a lot of print on demand looks really good these days. I mean, it used to be you see some stuff, you still see it now and then where you know you could tell you know the cover was not too good or whatever the formatting, and, right. and you say, oh well, that's print on demand. But as we know, I mean, a lot of that's getting getting better and better oh yeah i got um like create create space for example ju- uh they've now got their uh matte finish on book covers whereas before they had the glossy finish exactly and my latest novel soul quest i got that in matte finish and i received a copy uh, a few months ago and it, it it's indistinguishable from you know uh big house publishing exactly 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 and you know and as we know and and, and this, this you know it's and god God bless the uh, independent uh, bookseller because what, whatever little career I've ever had, it's only because they've hand sold my books and and, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for care the care and feeding of them and that and I know that's one thing I I know that Tommy's really worked on is to is to get some of the pro se the physical books into some of these you know some of these independent bookstores and, yeah. and and I think that's I think that can only help I mean I mean in a certain sense it is kind of taking a loss because we know you know the booksellers themselves are are existing at the margins let alone uh, let alone being able to move uh, a large volume of books. But I think the more you can get some physical books out there, uh, if nothing else, be glanced at by by the browser, uh, the browser, the physical person, the bra- browsing in the store. I don't mm. mean your browser on your, on your computer. Uh, <laughs> the, more that, the more that those physical books can exist, I just can't. I can't help but think that that, that will have that will that will have an advantage. And I, I'll say something else too. One of the things that I've found uh, in the last few years, this is actually from a friend of mine, who's very good at this. Um, she is a uh, she's a, 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 a crime writer, but she writes in a kind of very specific field. She writes the legal thriller. She's a lawyer, mm-hmm. that's what she writes. And one of the things that she's really done well with is uh, book clubs and and going to speak to to, mm-hmm. to to book clubs. And I noticed one of the things that we did a couple of little signings around town here with uh, Black Pulp, and we actually got a good good turnout. I mean, these are from folks, some of these folks who knew me or knew Gar, who's one of the writers of the book, but uh, but also uh, because they uh, because they wanted uh, that kind of material because they come from a Black Book Club or or book club that are interested in other things, other other uh, material, and 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 show up and we'll uh, you know we'll support you. So I think we can figure out uh, those kind of uh, uh, they're, not, they're not necessarily anything uh, different than what other uh, writers are doing, but uh, but as you said, I think the more I'm sure this will be the pushback part. The more mm-hmm. us as new pulp writers, or those of us who trap the world, the more we can think about using kind of the uh, these other venues as a way to sort of push the product. I think the better it is. And not to say, and I'm not saying they got to change the product. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying. Right, right. I think that there'll be some of that readership that you'll be able to tap. Some of it you won't, but I think there'll be some of that readership you'll be able to tap, potential readership that you'll be able to tap uh, by at least getting the books out to them. Right. This is something else I'm wondering about, too. Do you think the uh, 
the new pope label is somewhat of uh is also somewhat of a detriment because a lot of people they might see new pope and they're like oh i don't know what that is and just click away yeah i mean maybe there's something to that maybe there's something to that but you know listen i mean there's you know there's noir there's cozies there's there's chick lit there's there's a soft boiled there's my god there's a slew of cat solving crime books you know whatever right? mm-hmm. so <laughs> so as Oh yeah, I've got a friend who uh, has a series called uh, about uh, a Sherlock Ferret. I think there it's called. Go. Hilarious. So, uh, so no, I, I think I think uh, well, I think in this regard, Perry, you're right. I think the more that that the that the label of New Pulp gets to have a kind of cachet, right? The, the more, that, mm. for good or for ill. For instance, as an example, uh, let's go back. Let's, let's circle back for a second. Uh, you know when. Uh, I guess it'll just be the third wave or the second wave or the son, or the sons and daughters of, of Himes, excuse me, not Himes, not Chester Himes, but the sons and daughters of Goins and Beck uh, were certainly uh, uh, ghetto lit, right? The so-called, the mm-hmm. stuff that sort of really came out of gangster rap. Yeah, the stuff that's now being, I think it's called like urban literature or street lit Exactly, now. street lit. Uh, but, and, it, and in fact, some of these writers, uh, uh, one, one, of the, one of the early uh, progenitors of the style of that approach, of that material, of what the late nineties was uh, was Terry Woods, who herself had been uh, incarcerated, uh, and when she came out, she she wrote this book, True to the Game. She couldn't get it published, uh, uh, and then she actually literally just sold you know copies of it at swap meets and what have you, man. And, and uh, then eventually she self published it, got you know polished it up some, uh, and and self published it, and you know she was she it became a phenom, it became a thing, it became. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that opened the door to what, right, what has become street lit or, 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 or ghetto lit or, or, or urban lit. Much to the chagrin, I might add, of, of the black intelligentsia. Uh, <laughs> uh, who decried it mightily. There's a great, there's a great uh, op-ed called uh, Their Eyes Were Reading Smut. I always, and I always quote it uh, when, I, when I talk about this stuff. Anyway, uh, and so for good or for ill, but nonetheless, this then at least spoke to uh, like Goins and, and, and Beck had done a generation before she and the others who came after her tapped an audience that, that, that for all intents and purposes, wasn't, certainly wasn't reading mainstream and wasn't even reading in the crime and mystery genre, whether it was a black writer or not a black writer, you know, reading mm-hmm. me or Walter Mosley or, or others. But this, for what, you know, for different reasons, tapped into partly because of the fantasy level, partly just because of, uh, of, of it coming, being associated with rap. Now, a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. is not particularly good. A lot of it's not self-reflective. But nonetheless, it did it did tap an audience, and so I I say that to say I think not to say that New Pope is not, not going to certainly not going to get out there and start rapping, uh, but <laughs> but but that but to say that you know I don't think the label is what's holding us back. In fact, you, we the argument probably could be made that it's about elevating or at least saying what New Pope is so that people understood what the label is about. So you're right. So the, I think the more that we could do uh, an essay or or an op-ed, or a commentary, or that kind of piece that could be in LA Review of Books, or it could be in uh, the Huffington Post in the book section, or it could be, you know, on on one of the on one of the crime and mystery sites. The more that we could start to talk about, well, what is New Pope? What are the roots of New Pope? What? How does it relate to the crime and mystery uh, fan? Uh, I think all to the better. I think I, I think that the way to help elevate the uh, elevate is not the word I want, but the way to help push the yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> push the push the genre out there more to a bigger audience is to 
mm-hmm. as you as you suggest, suggest it. Let that audience know what his new film. Mm-hmm. I think um, part of going in with that too is. And you you kind of touched on this earlier, this idea of what is and isn't right. pulp. And, you know, like you said, you got the pushback with black pulp. Um, I think it was uh, Adam uh, Garcia wrote a blog post yes. several months back that was about, like, expanding pulp beyond just, like, the typical and, like, going into things like, why isn't there a gay new pulp right. hero? right. And, and then he got some pushback from that, saying, like, well, that's not pulp. Because, <laughs> you know, gay people only existed after 1980. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't know if it was necessarily the time period or anything like that, but it was just like this, like the kind of stuff he was, and it wasn't just about that, that was just one example, but it was just like what he was saying, it was just kind of like, that's not, that's not that's pulp. Right. But it's like, well, then I think we need to not uh, – you know, not saying like everything is pulp, but you know, just kind of like have a bit more flexibility with that. That's label. right. That's right. Well, and, and getting back to that point, we we were talking about a little earlier, where we talked about you know you talked about uh, uh, spinning off of spinning off of uh, of uh, Hell on Wheels in the sense of do you have these kind of black and and but these hybrid these mixed communities of black and Asian? That's just mm. fascinating, man. That's just some. That's yeah, you know, that's, yeah. And when I heard about that, I'm just like, that is that is a, this totally untapped market, exactly. and and that's actually what spurned me. Is like I asked Derek, I'm like, was there like because he's he's much more knowledgeable about westerns than right. I am, and so I asked him like, has there ever been a western that you know of with an Asian gunslinger? And he's like, no, I can't think exactly. of one. Exactly. And it's this entire untapped, and they they existed. I mean, they had uh, the tongs and all that. They had hatchet. They're called. That's where the term hatchet man comes right, from. Right. 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 And, and in fact, it's funny you say that, man. I uh, and so you're right. So it says, look, it's not as if these 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 subgenres, these cultures, these subcultures didn't exist. So therefore, why why aren't they right for pulp? Of course, they're right for the pulp mm-hmm. treatment. My God, just the setup alone. You know what I mean? And so and so because because right because if you just say well pulp is just this in this box, well that's not that's not the case. If if, mm-hmm. if pulp is a, a kind of hyper reality. And, and 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 explores various uh, as a take on on you know various segments of society. Uh, and then why not? You know, I mean that's all the good. In fact, it reminds me. It's, it's funny enough, man. I, I remember this because uh, they, they're, they're showing the. Uh, I guess I get, I guess I watch on the old folks channel. I watch on one of these channels where they they, they have reruns of the Rifleman, and there was this <laughs> Rifleman. You know, Rifleman was from like maybe it was from the you know, nineteen sixty or sixty one. And there's an Asian guy, you know, he's, he's the laundry man, but he's not really a laundry mm-hmm. man. We learn, we learn he's actually with something else. And there's a couple of scenes, man, where he's not quite doing martial arts, but he is using a couple of, uh, he's supposed to be Chinese, but he's still doing karate chops. He's doing, uh, so right. a mixture of, you know, of whatever, but he's doing karate chops mm-hmm. on, on, on a couple of bad guys. And at some point somebody mentions about, you know, his hand being a deadly weapon. So even then there's like this. You know, I mean, it's not like, you know, certainly even in World War II, they were teaching judo, uh, you know, in the army. There's certainly this notion that that martial, you know, and we, as we know, martial arts goes back, whatever it is, to the 1600s in terms of China. Right. Uh, or even beyond, right, because it, it comes out of uh, Korean, the Korean Peninsula. Uh, and so it's not as if, you know, I've written popes, I've written now a couple of uh, Operator 5 stories. Well, of course I have, and it, it, this was in the Operator 5 um, stories that I read from the 30s. You know, he was, they didn't call it martial arts, but he was, he was using judo and jujitsu. And so I have him being a martial artist, and that seems only natural. I mean, it's not, you, you said, well, that's not Pope. Well, how could it not be martial arts? really right. existed hundreds of years before these stories are set, 
it's already shown that he was, you know, a practitioner of this and he knew about this. So how could he not know about, you know, Kung Fu or what have you, you know, Wing Chun? Yeah, and there's this, there's, um, like, going back to the <clears throat> the term Hatchet, when I was talking about the Hatchet Man thing, it reminded me of something else, too. Uh, the term Gunzel. Yes. Like, you, you know what the actual meaning of that was back I in the day? I do know, I do know. Yeah, it was, uh, it was for a gay person. Hammond snuck, snuck it by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> snuck it by the editor. <laughs> right, and so there's, so there's this, I mean, there's tons of, material that's right there just in that in that that's context right, that's right exactly but of course now we we use the term in a different way it's actually right yeah exactly the, the definition is doesn't i mean the definition has changed because i've actually used knowing knowing what how Hammett meant it but i've actually right. brought the term the way people think of it now as a, as a torpedo as a as a gunman but you're right right that's yeah. not what guns is is all like a male concubine for god's sake oh my god right and uh <laughs> Well, I also found out something interesting because I was reading this book about uh, post-war Japan. Yes. And in post-war Japan, once like all the censorship fell away, yes. pulps exploded over here. That's wild, man. Yeah, and so like there's all this like rife material out around the world. I mean, you know, I mean for I mean for God's sake, Yojimbo was just basically red harvest. Right, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's it. So there you go. So so it does say that I think so you're right. So it does suggest that um, right, so maybe it isn't your grandfather's pulp. Well, there th- th- you have it. What, what can, you, can right. you do? What can you do, right? You can't, uh, that, that kind of those floodgates are, are open. And you're right, everything doesn't become pulp, just like everything doesn't become noir. Uh, so, and, and I, but I think that's okay. I think you're right. I think to have that discussion, to have those, those kinds of backs and, back and forth about uh, what is pulp, what is new pulp, how do we, you know, how do we keep it going? Uh, and I think that's that's legit. And, and listen, I mean, um, I've been very intrigued to think about this because, in the sense that, you know, if you look at, uh, and I, you know, and I know people decry the uh, and had a, and, it, and for good reason, it's the first wave that that uh, uh, DC attempted. Oh right, yeah, yeah. That that and, and God knows they it was very spotty on the Doc Savage book was up and down. Uh, uh, but, you know, even recently now where Dynamite has done ser- several uh, revivals, some of those are not. Mm-hmm. Even, so, so even in terms of comics and comics fans, it is interesting to see that even Pulp doesn't quite catch on even with them, right? Because, uh, you know, the Spider's been canceled. I think the Shadow's ending. Uh, now, that, of course, they got Doc Savage going. I suspect, though, uh, unless sales get over 20000 they're not going to keep they're not gonna keep that going. I, right. So is so 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 that begs the question now. That, so that's, there's another part of our discussion. Is it that does the does the fan base or the readership base for new pulp is it is it finite? Is it is it can in fact be proscribed? Say different than uh, the readership uh, of of crime and mystery. Although you know, speaking crime and mystery writers mm-hmm. writers as well, but certainly some of that stuff. You know the Harry Bosch books by. Uh, Michael Conley, uh, Lee Childs, Jack Reacher, etc., break out right and have, have right. a huge readership, and yet, and yet, you know, are certainly still grounded in in the genre. Uh, uh, is it the case that New Pope will not find that breakout character, that breakout book? I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm just curious about mm-hmm. that because, as I said, I mean, I've tracked now uh, sort of the rise and fall of of Pope in terms of. Uh, the revival in comics, and I guess some would argue, well, they're not reviving the characters correctly, or they're not—you know—it's not the spirit of the pulps. Well, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that 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 is the case of why uh, the books don't catch on. The book catch on in the sense of 
the sale figures you got to have to you know to, to sell a four color comic book. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's it's a it's a terrible indicator because comics ever since the '90s have traditionally not really had a big market to begin with. Right, but given the world of comics, we know that. Uh, yeah. In my talks with you know with my little dipping my toe in that world too, it's certainly the case that I know that that editors, uh, well, the 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 powers that be, I should say, I know. It, all mm-hmm. the cases that if a book is not selling over twenty thousand, that that book is not going to stay on the right. you know stay on the uh, on, on the on the lineup. Though I'm actually, for instance, though I'm interested in, I'm very interested in seeing because to me it's really it, speaking of new pulp. Uh, I'm looking at I'm really eager to read Warren Ellis's take on Moon Knight because now they've got yeah yeah that looks really that fascinating. Looks pretty just... fascinating because now you got Moon Knight back in a suit and uh, just the mask, and, and definitely more, he's, he's talking about being more weird crimes, but some pulp elements, so that, that looks kind of, and maybe, and, and maybe that's what it is, maybe, maybe it, you need more of that hybrid kind of character mm-hmm. uh, to, to reach that audience, and I don't know. I, I'm not... I think it might be interesting to see um, what, if anything, uh, Shane Black's Doc Savage movie does. Yes. If, if, because if it doesn't... Ho- hopefully it's not going to be a repeat of John Carter, where it didn't where the studio basically ignored it, and then it did nothing for Pulp. Right. But... Although, and I, I thought the movie was fine, by the way. Oh, I love the, I love the movie. I, I love the I, movie. I, I love the I, movie. I, it was, and I don't even understand why it was. Somebody jumped on. It was, it was, it was a, it was a self fulfilling prophecy. I guess it was, man. I guess. I, what did they think it was going to be? I mean, it's Edgar Rice Burroughs. It's, it's, it's the, it's the books. I mean, what the heck, man? I mean, I thought it was, you know, pretty well done. But you're right, man. They're, I was like, oh my god, they all lined up and like, you know, took a piss on it. Man, what the heck, man? Come on. Uh, from what I understand, like the the management over that part of Disney changed while the movie was in production or something, so so they couldn't stop the film, and like the new management didn't like it, so I think that had something to do with it. It was a little bit of studio politics. Well, and of course, the taking you know of Mars off the title, what sense does that make, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. What? No, it's John Carter of Mars. Of course, that's what it is. It's a science fiction. You know, it's a science a space opera. Of course, you. Keep yeah. that in the title, but anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit tangential, but let's talk about it for a second. So, do you know is 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 the Doc Savage movie on track? Um, from what I understand, it is. Uh, I first heard about it when Black was in production of Iron Man three, right. and you know, and during that, I think it was during that that he got tapped to be the director of uh, Doc Savage. And, Doc Savage, thank know, goodness, yeah. Yeah, and I think he said that it was going to be uh, it was going to be his next project after Iron Man three. Wow. Well, I hope so. Um, but I haven't really heard much else since then. So I mean, apparently, like he's a big fan of the Doc Savage stuff. Uh, he is going to keep it set in that time period and all that kind of th- stuff. So it's not going to be like a a modernized take or uh-huh. or like you know move to the modern world type of thing like the like uh, what was it that uh, there's that Tarzan TV series that they did on. Uh, CW or WB a few years. They were ago. trying to catch the same, same, same lightning in the bottle they had with Smallville. Exactly. Right. Basically, although the show wasn't actually that bad, I I caught it af- after the fact, and it was actually kind of enjoyable. Uh, I think Lucy Lawless was in there, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? That's right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so I don't. I guess we. I don't. I don't know. If we have any hard and fast answers for. For right. our, our, our theme, our title, but uh, but, <laughs> but at least I think we've given given folks something to chew on. I hope. Right. Well, um, talking about some of that stuff, uh, what do you think about the price point of new pulp books? Do you think it's at the right margin? Do you think it's because there there are tons of competing arguments about this that yes. 
you know, you should you should set the price as low as possible. Another argument saying like, well, if you set it as low as possible, then there's a perception of a lack of quality, right. and so you should raise the price higher. Right. Right. Um, and with pulp, especially, that's kind of tricky because one of the key things about pulp and one of the key attractors has always been its affordability. Right. Right. I. Uh... You know, it's an interesting discussion. In fact, I've just been reading, there was a long piece in The New Yorker. This had to do with, uh, and in particular it was from the viewpoint of a uh, uh, publisher of an independent uh, indie book house, mm-hmm. a book publisher. And, but basically, the, the, the punchline is uh, Amazon has uh, driven book prices down to the cost of a sandwich. So, mm-hmm. so is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, some would say that's a bad thing, right? That that these things have value. Entertaining stories have a certain kind of uh, uh, level, a certain kind of standing. Mm-hmm. And and as you said, I mean, if you price them too low, then there's certainly that that the uh, veneer, that stink of it being well, well, how much, how how good could it be if it's only cost this much? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, so no, I think I actually think the price points are are, are commensurate with they're certainly commensurate with uh, 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 cost of mystery and, and crime store and, and novels and, and old books of the anthologies and, and what have you. So I, I don't think that's the problem. I, I think um, you know, but again, of course, it's part of the partly is getting a bigger audience familiar with with the work, with the material. And mm-hmm. said, I mean, look, some of the material is uneven, but that's the case of some a lot of crime and mystery writers. Some of that material is pretty uneven as well. Uh, so, so I think it is the case, though, that I mean, right? You can't. I, I, you don't want to. You don't want to be too high. And I, but I also don't think. More and more, I've thought more and more about this. I really don't want to uh, be so low as to say to give it no value, to give it no, give it no. Yeah. Value. And I think. Yeah, I, I've been going through that myself because I'm preparing a what I'm planning on doing a superhero series, yeah. and my idea was doing um, a series of. Uh, 15,000 word stories and releasing them at 99 cents a piece. Gotcha. And then, co- and then collect them in a volume for like, you know, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, whatever, like a series of six or something like that. Gotcha. Um, but then I heard discussions where uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Catherine Christine Rush yeah. talking about, well, you know, if it's like 15 to 30,000 words, you should be pricing that at two ninety nine. Right. Right. Uh, so that that maybe questioned some of that yeah. that I was going with. Yeah. yeah. And then I've heard other stuff saying like, well, don't don't bother with it at all because something that's not a full length novel is not going to sell anyway. <laughs> well, now that's interesting because now because you're right. I, I've heard back and forth about that. I mean, uh, we you know we were talking about this earlier. I mean, one of the reasons I've been doing these novellas is because the idea being that you can do something that's uh, that's uh, uh, oh twenty. 30,000 words, but something that mm-hmm. you can that you can kind of digest, you can kind of kind of get through in one or two settings, uh, sittings, and uh, and you price it accordingly at two ninety nine, and 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 people will buy it. People will you know because it's not huge investment, and but it's a good chunk of material. Uh, right. So it's not slight, uh, and uh, and you're gonna you know you're gonna give them their money's worth. So you're right. I mean, I think so. It's, it is interesting. You're right. I mean, I, uh, and who knows what's the right? Although I I would err more on the side of actually upping the price. And and, mm-hmm. and keeping it that way, um, because yeah, I don't know, man. It, you know, then I've heard, I've heard, uh, I know some people who who have given away, right? You have those giveaways, right? You have those giveaway, day. right, right, yeah. 
and they say, yeah, I gave away a lot of a lot of novels, but that didn't translate into a lot of people buying it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. once it went off, it was not like word of mouth and you know bloom, and then all of a sudden, all these people came in and, and bought you know bought copies at uh, at whatever price. You know, so the one thing I've heard about that is if you're going to make the book, if you're going to make it free, if you're going to do a free giveaway, right? Have another book ready to go. There you go. As a so, like you know, and then end your book at the end with like you know a link to the next book in the series. That makes sense. That that makes yeah. better sense to me. That makes that makes perfect sense. Exactly. Exactly. As a way to the old the the, the pusher model. Exactly, man. You got right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get them hooked on the free product, and then you say, "Oh no, wait a minute. Right. You, got, you want more?" And I, oh no, that's what it's going to cost you. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I mean, so. Having said all that, and and uh, and uh, uh, even thinking about oh my god, even uh, crazy subgenres. There was a piece, man, recently. I don't know if you saw this, where uh, for a hot minute, Amazon shut down uh, its monster porn. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who? I didn't... Well, I I remember I heard about this, and um, where there was this <laughs> dinosaur erotica. Yes. Yes, man. And the the worst the worst Photoshop covers you could ever imagine. But these things, and Helen Perry. Oh my God! Yeah, these uh these two these two women they were like yeah. uh, roommates or something in college. Yeah. They make more off of that stuff than they do on their day jobs. Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. Once again, and it all started off as a laugh. They're like, let's just let's. Start. That's right. That's yeah. Right. And. But nonetheless, they they again like get a lit. You sort of. You, Maybe it's the sinking level. I don't know what it is, but they really <laughs> tapped the market. And because, as we know, on on a on a Kindle, once you get past the cover, it's just words there, so people really don't know what you're reading unless they're you know looking right over your shoulder. So exactly, yeah, it's not like you're reading the that dirty uh, that dirty soft porn uh, paperback novel that you got to hide the cover. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the library the library was an info. Oh yeah, and in Japan, it's um, it cover design is like non-existent here, and it's very common for people to have. Like a generic book cover that they put their books in whenever they're taking them on the train and stuff like that. Right, right. Very interesting. Well, no, that, see, no, that that, that strike again. Uh, uh, speaking of of these varying shifting cultural uh, mores, uh, you know, you're there. Uh, I'm. I, I've read more than once about where you know uh, uh, men of a certain age or what have you read read uh, manga porn and read pretty r- rugged stuff. And, oh, oh, it's. Right? It's all uh, it's it's right there in the convenience store. Right. You you walk to the bathroom in the convenience store, it's boom right there. They got the whole rack of all the porn mags and the uh, you know, regular like photo mags and they've got the porn comics too. And yeah, I've, I've been I've been next to people on the train and stuff and they're just like flipping through it right in the open. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 why right. So how is it that that gets established or that is seen whether it's seen is okay or not, but wh- certainly whether it's done you know, mm-hmm. and and has reached a certain kind of level of of uh, you know of, of of the marketplace, and and uh, uh, and yet here you're right, like you know we're struggling to get these get this stuff out to 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 a public, uh, knowing that I think that there's a public there who would be uh, responsive and resonate with the material, but it's getting the material to them, which I think still gets us back to I guess full circle. It still says that I think the more we think about the the unconventional or at least the, the different kinds of uh, the non-traditional mm-hmm. venues that we can at least push some of the new pulp in. Your superhero series is a, is a good example of that, of course, which should, of course, pick up some of that crossover from 
mm-hmm. uh, the pro the the comic book uh, the comics readers who do read prose and there's a number of them that do uh, mm-hmm. you know and, and as well as then I think even some of the mystery mystery audience um, the more you can hit some of those venues hit, hit tap some of those things that they're reading or they're looking at uh, I think you know the better off it is in terms of trying to get some of this material in front of them. I'm glad you actually cycled back to that idea of breaking out of these traditional venues. That's actually something I was going to do. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> so yeah, that that's something I've wanted to do for a while is try and you know break out of the the new pulp ghetto as you called it earlier. Um, it's just the question of how do you do that? You do. Like that's one of the things that that's always like tripped me up on that. It's like where where do you go to? Like how do you push yourself out of that? What uh, do you have any sort of advice on that front? Well, as I said, I, I think uh, you know my 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 model or our test was uh, for me was was black pole, uh, and, and then of course it will, as as you as you just mentioned, uh, Asian pulp is coming down the line. The fact that it's Asian, the, the the title alone suggests that there will be there will be some people who at least will be intrigued by that title. And I'm not just saying Asian readers, right. Uh, who will be intrigued by the title, who might pick the book up if it's in a bookstore or might look at it twice when they're scrolling through on Amazon or where have you. Uh, or certainly the case that there are Asian-centric sites that would might mention the book, might do re- mm-hmm. the book, who they were, they wouldn't do it of any other new pulp title, but because of what that title is and the, and the, and the stories in it, mm-hmm. would certainly do a review of it. Just like uh, we got, like for Black Pulp, we got uh, a pretty nice review on uh, you know, on a couple of black book sites that, generally speaking, don't don't follow New Pulp, though though may because now a black pulp may pick up on somebody like Derek Ferguson may pick up on somebody like some of the other sort of black pulp writers uh, because uh, just because they're black, but also because now it's like a new a new kind of frontier, it's a new material that they haven't they haven't seen before. So I think right. that's part of it. I think you're right. I mean, I think it's starting to think about and whatever the pulp. Uh, material is is sometimes thinking about it. You know, if it's a supernatural character or it's a, or it's a, a, a crime fighter character, it's thinking about well. Yes, we have the sort of usual pulp uh, venues where we go for reviews, but well, where else? Like for, you know, if you look at so if you look at if you just track, just as an example, uh, if you uh, whatever the heck it is, the last I don't think Custer's writing his books anymore. He has a co-writer, a couple co-writers, but he gives him credit. So whatever it was, the last. You know, a Custler book was if you just sort of Google that and looked at well, who reviewed it. Mm. I think, well, all right, maybe I'll send them my new pulp novel because they don't think Custler. They've re- reviewed Custler. Maybe they gave them a favorite review or a so-so review. Uh, but uh, and they don't think of Custler as a pulp uh, novelist, though he himself would tell you tell us this. Uh, right. But maybe they might respond if they responded to that material. Maybe they respond to my material. So I think that's another way to kind of start to think about it. I think maybe is to look at. Where some of these other novels, the so-called uh, not mainstream, but some of the novels from some of the bigger houses, but certainly that we would consider to be pulp or have some pulp elements, where they review, yes. where they're being uh, being highlighted, and let's you know piggyback a little bit on that in the sense of, of at least you know sending uh, a, a press release or even a, a you know a sample copy or a sample chapters to that reviewer. So that's one way I think to think about this. Sort of like you said, that we want to break out. Not that there's anything wrong with the new pulp ghetto, but we want to also break out of that. We also want to let mm-hmm. people know about about the pulp goodness that, that we're doing. <laughs> right. Uh, got to get paid. Someone's got to pay the bills. <laughs> got to pay the bills, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Um, is there any uh, final parting thoughts you'd like to offer on this subject? Uh, well, no, Perry. Other than uh, I hope uh, for both our sakes that people will uh, will be looking for Asian pulp as it as it comes down the pike, and then uh, later toward the end of this year. Actually, I should say a couple other things. So you're right. Uh, I, uh, so Asian pulp, uh, I have a story in it as well. I have. Uh, I'm very happy also with uh, Pro Se. I have a uh, effort where. Um, it's a character of mine. I actually did. A, it's a private eye character. And I mm-hmm. did this character for as a miniseries for a ver, for DC Vertigo several years ago, and then I got the rights back. Then actually, then Moonstone published. Oh, is this uh, Angel Town? This is Angel Town. This is Nate Nate. Okay. Nate Hollis of Angel Town, and uh, Moonstone then published it, it as one uh, hardback, uh, black and white, with a couple of uh, extra uh, short stories I did for that edition, and now mm-hmm. for Pro Se for Tommy. We're doing uh, uh, Hollis. Uh, I don't. I don't know. We're going to have a subtitle yet. Maybe the Hollis Files or something like that. Anyway, but we're doing uh, six Nate Hollis stories done by uh, different writers. I've done two of the stories, and a young man named Aaron Clark, uh, Aaron, Aaron Philip Clark, and mm-hmm. Juliet Blackwell, who come out of the mystery genre. Juliet, in particular, writes a, a couple of different best-selling series in the kind of more soft-boiled, supernatural vein. Uh, right. Aaron is more in the hard-boiled vein. And, and the ubiquitous, the ubiquitous, uh, 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 Derek Ferguson and Bobby Nash are also contributing stories. Mm-hmm. So that'll be out probably in the summer, late summer. So 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 that, that by the way, then is another good example of something where, of course, we're going to go for uh, the new pulp crowd, but because it's a detective series and it has a kind of uh, uh, brand, small brand, in uh, in the mystery genre, we're going to also, of course, go for the mystery the mystery uh, reader as well. And you've got the and you've got the anti gravity steel. The anti gravity steel is out now from uh, Stark Raven Group. Uh, the Extractors with McBleek is coming soon, and then way at the end of the line, or at the end of this year, uh, I believe, will be Black Pulp Two. Uh, are you going to do a follow up to your story in Black Pulp, or is, are you doing something completely different? I'm going to taking taking our cue from our discussion today, but I'd already planned this. But yes, I'm going to do the same character. Decimator Decimator Smith will show up again uh, in the in the second uh, Black Pulp uh, edition, uh, as well as just a little a little tease, a little tease. Uh, <laughs> there are some elements in the Decimator Smith story set in the 30s in Los Angeles. There's not a lot of pulp stories set in L.A. in the 30s. Well, there's some, but from a black character point of view. Set in the 30s in L.A., there are some elements there that the careful reader will find are going to show up in the second, not the first, but the second, uh, not Brenner, who's the hero in Anti-Gravity Steel. When I do, I have the the plot in mind for his second uh, adventure. Some of those elements are going to cross over, so we're going to start to see a little bit of... uh, a little bit of world building, I guess. That's the way to put it. Between nice, nice. Uh, between Decimator Smith and Knock Brenner's world. Okay, and uh, where can people find you online? They can find me online, uh, hiding at, uh, at at the site that I, I I need to be I need to be uh, uh, updating now and then. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's uh, gdphillips.com. or uh, I'm you know I'm listed somewhere in Pro Se. I'm listed somewhere on Moonstone. Whatever, right? Somewhere, you know, we all exist in these uh, cyber worlds, these cyber realms. Do you have a uh, Facebook and Twitter landing pages you wanted to 
promote too, or no? No, I, I mean I don't have I don't I don't tweet, uh, Perry. I, uh. I, it's too much work. Oh my lord, no! It is like I, I'm on there, and I, I don't know how some of the other people are doing it all the time. I I I I, I, I never have anything to say really. <laughs> uh, but I I do have a Facebook page, but I guess it's a uh, I guess it's just a regular page. I don't have a uh, I don't really have an author's page per se. I just, okay, yeah, so yeah, don't worry about that then. So it's just don't want people like going over your personal page then. <laughs> but I never post anything there anyway. I just post uh, I other people's stuff. That's that's all I hide. I gotta hide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ah, well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been uh, it's been a wonderful discussion. Some really great advice. And thanks for having me, Perry. It's been a blast. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, if, uh, feel free to come back anytime you want. Good deal. Okay, right. I'm Perry Constantine, and this has been the Exploding Typewriter. Have a good day. This has been an episode of Exploding Typewriter, Pulp Writers on Writing Pulp. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to typewriter at percivalconstantine.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at ExplodingType or use the hashtag NewPulp. Visit typewriter.percivalconstantine.com for show notes and links where you can find more information about this episode's guest. The theme song for this show, Faster Does It, was created by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and is used under a Creative Commons license. If you enjoy the show, please support it by posting a review on iTunes and tell your friends.